Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Someone will run to you with a Bible. Anyone need a Bible? Wow. Everyone brought their Bible. I'm so impressed. Either that or you got one on the way in. Okay. I know what happened. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We go through the Bible, through Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Verse 23, Jesus speaking, Therefore the kingdom of of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went out and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that this morning you'd open up our hearts, Lord, so that we would understand, Lord, the full impact of what happened on the cross when you, Jesus, died for all our sins, that we would understand the value of the forgiven, of the forgiveness that's ours in Christ Jesus, that we would understand the height and depth, the width and length of your love for us. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few announcements before we begin. First, there is a flyer in your bulletin this morning. A flyer. And, you know, I have never seen it as my role to sort of take up banners regarding political causes. My role is to teach the Word of God. But uh, every once in a while, I feel like I'd be abdicating my responsibility as a shepherd to not call certain things to your attention and call us to action. Uh, the state of Massachusetts, and it could only happen in this state, has uh, taken 
what really is an unprecedented action, and they've proposed a bill uh, to have churches, every church is in this state, each year file a very extensive disclosure statement listing all the expenses of the church, including, among many other things, the names and addresses and telephone numbers of people who give to the church of certain amounts, of every missions organization the church gives to, uh, of all the groupings of uh, financial information that, uh, that, that the church has, and this is filed with the attorney general who uh, is going to have oversight, a kind of oversight, uh, over the churches. Now, this is unprecedented in the United States, and uh, we feel that churches of this state, and have been talking to many pastors uh, about this, uh, feel like it represents a uh, highly inappropriate intrusion by the government and church affairs and will have the impact of really Im- of impacting the, the liberties, uh, the religious liberties uh, I- in this state. And so I would encourage you to telephone or email your state representative. It's already passed through the House through an overwhelming measure. Uh, and again, only in Massachusetts. And, uh, but the House of Representatives is going to be a vote on January 25th. And here we've put for you the instructions of how to call, first of all, find your, who your representative is, and then to, to call them and just let them know. I, I don't think the state has any business uh, in the financial affairs of a church. And, and let them know. So believe it or not, we have been hearing different things, but this is, uh, right now they're saying this is likely to pass. And it's, uh, I always thought the names and addresses and t- telephone numbers of people who give to the Lord is between them and God. I didn't know that the Attorney General was supposed to know about uh, these kind of things. And as we know, we lived in a highly politicized time where people often don't agree with the Word of God and would much like to find out uh, who really is supporting uh, uh places that teach the Word of God. And so, don't mean to impose any scare tactics or anything like that, but, you know, that is what this type of thing, that's where it leads. And so, we need to wake up and, and, and uh, so, sort of out of our slumber and, and, and take action. And so, uh, please call. Uh, the, I also uh, want to uh, just let you know that the women's group is... Uh, or the women's Bible study is uh, up and running again on Wednesday night. They're going through the book of uh, Ephesians. The men on Friday night are going through Jeremiah. And I uh, also want to tell you that a week from tonight, next Sunday night, a man who I've known of for about 25 years and whose, whose life and my life have had these you know, odd sort of intersections, uh, he, a man by the name of Rick Downs, he's a pastor of Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Cambridge, will be here teaching us on Sunday night, a week from this Sunday night. And I uh, strongly encourage you to come out and, and hear Rick. He is um, known as a tremendous Bible teacher. So uh, please remember that. That's next Sunday night. Okay, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 begins with an argument among the disciples about which of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Peter wanted to be recognized as the greatest, so did 
James, so did John, and so forth, and they brought their argument to Jesus and said, who, who, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And as Jesus often did when his disciples uh, asked him an outrageous question, he actually answered it. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't smite them. He didn't put them in their place. He actually answered them. And that's what uh, those answers are in Matthew 18. He first uh, begins answering by taking a child into his arms and saying, you want to be great in the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He says, you become like this child, unashamed of expressing your love for God, unpoisoned or uncorrupted by the cares of the world. He goes on in verse 5 to say, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you receive a little child like this. In other words, you love and minister to the least of the people in the kingdom of God. In verses 10 through 14, in the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to retrieve one, uh, Jesus is saying, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, uh, don't treat people as if they're a number, don't treat people as if, as if they're a piece of flesh uh, that can be forgotten and blotted out of memory. Don't assume that a strange sheep, a brother or sister who falls into sin, uh, isn't a big loss, a tragic loss, a huge loss in the eyes of God. doesn't matter that there happens to be 100 or 99 other sheep that are uh, fat and white and, 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 and fluffy and healthy. You go save that sheep. You love that sheep. You go out. And so Jesus is saying, as he does in the Gospel of John, I didn't come to the world to judge it, but to save it. You want to be great in the kingdom of God, you go do likewise. And then in verses 15 through 20, Jesus said, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? By this time, the disciples probably wish they hadn't asked because <laughs> they're feeling more and more like the least in the kingdom of heaven. You know, God's word will do that with a puffed up soul. But anyway, he says in verses 15 through 20, he's saying you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. If someone sins against you, you go to them. Don't do like the rest of the world does and, and make a record of the wrong. You go to them. You forgive them. You win them back. Now, it's interesting. Up to this point, the disciples haven't said anything, but the Apostle Peter can't help himself any longer. And he says in verse 21, he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? In other words, surely you don't mean I have to keep on forgiving someone if they just keep on sinning against me. It's amazing how much our flesh, our natural man, doesn't want to forgive. Our flesh, our natural man, likes to hold on to unforgiveness. It's a twisted kind of comfort uh, to our flesh. If we hold on to unforgiveness or bitterness against someone, it, it's sort of like getting back at that person. And, and you know, it, it's something we have and we don't really have to give it up. Our flesh says, why bother? Why bother going to someone to restore a relationship? I'll, I'll just get another relationship. 
It's not worth the pain. It's not worth the effort. It's not the, the awkwardness, the embarrassment of going to them and forgiving them. Uh, what if they don't want to receive it? That will be more pain to me, more anger for me, another slight against me. What's the point? They're not going to change. Uh, if I just blow them off, they, they won't be able to hurt me again. I'll, I'll take that route to save her. Jesus says, you want to be uh, greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you go to them. And then verse 22, he says, uh, he says and, and that doesn't mean just forgiving seven times. That means forgiving 70 times seven, meaning as many times as you are offended, as many times you are sinned against, you forgive. Now, I've been very close to a number of people who have been greatly sinned against many times. And the, these verses, that, this particular verse, verse 22, is a lot more difficult to receive for some people uh, more than others. I, I've been uh, close to, very close to some people who, you know, they've been part of a broken relationship, uh, a divorce, and they're good people. And they were sinned against in the, just the most profound way over and over and over again for years. You know, it, it's one thing to, to keep on forgiving someone who cuts in front of you in the uh, grocery line, you know. This is the 31st time Mrs. Jones is cut in front of me in a line. Oh, but I forgive you, you know, that 70 times 7 thing, I forgive you. But what about the woman who has had her husband be unfaithful to her 31 times? What about where there has been sexual or physical abuse 101 times? Or what about someone who early in life is hit by a drunk driver and paralyzed for life? I know one of those people too. A natural, honest, perfectly understandable reaction to verse 22 uh, Jesus' 70 times 7 statement is, I see what you're saying, Jesus, but it's not fair to put me after what I've been through in the same category as most other people. I shouldn't be just lobbed on in the same group with the people who have, you know, someone's cut in front of them 31 times in a grocery store. I've had someone who was supposed to love me and be committed to me stab me in the back over and over again. And Jesus anticipates that very objection because it's a very understandable one. And that is why he responds the way he does in verses 23 through 35. So let's read on. Again, verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he, he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his servants who had owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. 
So his a fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So you have a, a servant uh, who owes his master 10,000 talents. Now, to give you a perspective of what that means, 10,000 ta- talents, it, well, it was an unimaginable sum of money to the point of being just irrational. According to William Barclay, a well-known Bible commentator, the entire revenue for one year in all of Israel and Samaria at this time was 900 talents. The entire revenue. So all, in other words, if you took all the money that every business and everyone in Israel and Samaria earned in one year, you'd have 900 talents. And here the king is asking his servants for 10,000. He's asking, actually, this one servant for 10,000 talents. So if you uh, take this parable a little closer to home and and time, if you were telling this parable in the northeastern United States, well, uh, let's just say the total revenue for uh, the northeastern United States is a a trillion dollars. It's probably more. Let's just say it's it's a trillion dollars, the total amount that businesses in the northeast makes for one year. If you take this parable and put it in modern terms, it would be like someone coming to you and saying, all right, the game is over, pay up. You owe me $10 trillion. You'd be like, hmm, better go out and get another pizza delivery job here. (laughs) Better get two of them. The point of the parable is this, it was impossible to pay the debt. There was nothing this servant could do in a hundred lifetimes, in a a thousand lifetimes, to repay this debt. The debt was ten times more than all the people and all the business in Israel made in an entire year. So in verse 26, the servant falls down before his king. He pleads for mercy. Uh, The king is moved with compassion and, and forgives him the debt. The servant is released and he goes out and finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, one denarii was how much a common labor made in one day. So this is a pretty hefty sum, I think. I really do. I mean, think of it. You're a common laborer. You work for a hundred days. Someone, you lend it to someone who swears they'll pay you back. Their, their life is in some kind of you know, situation where they need it. And, and they're like, well, I can't pay you. It's way overdue. I mean, that's, that's a pretty significant debt. The servant demands the sum of money from his fellow servant who falls at his feet and begs him for mercy, but mercy is refused, and the servant has him thrown in prison. The master finds out, has a servant brought to him, and says in verse 33... Actually, verse 32 says, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my uh, heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart who does not forgive his brother's trespasses. The meaning of this parable, at least on its surface, is obvious. God is the king. 
the inhabitants of earth are the servants of the kingdom. We owe God a debt that there's no possible way to repay. How did the debt run up? Every time we've sinned, we have incurred a debt against a holy and righteous God who is perfectly just and who simply cannot ignore debts debts incurred to him and, and, and it's be you know he wouldn't be just if, if, if he did so now you may say but 10,000 uh, talents 10 trillion dollars worth of debt ha- have I really run up a debt against God that high yes and really that's an understatement when you consider what God's word teaches about sin you know we were in Matthew uh, chapters 5, 6 and 7 we studied the Sermon of the Mount and learned, among other things, that not only is lying, cheating, and stealing sin, but thinking about lying, cheating, and stealing is sin. Anger in our heart is murder, Jesus says. When you consider what our holy, awesome God's word teaches about sin, the thought of paying back God, the debt that we have incurred for all our sin, is the equivalent of this servant paying back 10,000 talents. It's the equivalent of us paying someone $10 trillion. Never in a hundred lifetimes could we ever pay back God for the debt that we owe him. When Jesus went to the cross, he took the sins of the whole world with him. Every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit, he took to the cross with him. By dying for your sin, Jesus paid a debt that you don't have the slightest possibility to repay. Yes, some of us have been grievously wronged. Grievously wrong. Some of us have been wronged by the very people who should have been the ones to bless us and instead hurt us over and over and over again. But after being forgiven 10,000 talents, $10 trillion, after being forgiven for something that is large, really it's so large it can't even be measured, there's no excuse for not forgiving the wrongs or wrongs that have been inflicted on us. That's what this parable means. Now in verse 32, it says the king addresses his servant. says, you wicked servant pretty strong word, wicked. When we think of the word wicked, it, it used to be a much more common term than it is today. Today, the only people who are really wicked are people like Hitler and Mussolini and people like that. Why does he call him wicked? Why such a strong term? He called him wicked not only because he refused to forgive a debt after he himself had been forgiven a debt that was so large it couldn't even be measured. But he was called wicked because of what the king had to go through to forgive that debt. God had to watch his only son be whipped with a scourge to the point where his son was unrecognizable. He had to watch his son be nailed to a cross. God had to watch his son be spit upon, be mocked, 
He had to watch his son as a soldier thrust a spear through his side. He had to watch as all the sins of the world were cast upon his son. And worst of all, God, the king, had to watch his son as God himself smote his son with holy wrath as judgment for your sins and mine. This man is called wicked because, not only because he refused to forgive a debt when he had been forgiven, but he had despised the gift, the salvation and forgiveness that has cost God so much. You know, I prayed a lot as I was preparing this message that I would be able to describe this morning the value of being forgiven. The value of being forgiven. Being forgiven by God is something that is so valuable you cannot possibly put a price tag on it. About 25 years ago, there was a man, a professor uh, in California who was doing a lot of research on the mental health system in California. At the time, there was just the, the mental health system was just busting at the seams with thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women confined to mental health facilities. They've since, by the way, let a lot of them out. They just medicate them, heavily medicate them, and sort of try to cover their tracks. But once they just crammed them all into these buildings, the buildings have been turned into jails now. There, there were so many of them. And they were busting at the seams, and they were trying to figure out what to do. And this professor had done a lot of, uh, of work to try to figure out what to do. And his conclusion was this, if only we had a cure for guilt. If only we had a cure for guilt, we could let half of these people out. It was after that time, sometime in the 90s, that an organization in Los Angeles funded a charity called the Apology Sound Off Line. The Apology Sound Off Line. And what this was was for the price of a phone call in Los Angeles, you could call in and confess your sin to what was essentially an answering machine. And by 1997, at least, this Apology Sound Off Line was getting 200 calls a day. I was reading about some of the things that people called in for. Now, remember, this is to an answering machine. Probably the whole thing's probably just deleted most of the time without anyone ever listening to it. And I was reading a book about some of the things that people called in for, rape, child abuse, murder. So this one woman calling in sobbing. You know, I just want to say I'm sorry to an answering machine that no one's listening to. See, what was happening is people, they no longer believe in confessing to God or priests. They no longer believe in God. They no longer believe in pastors and priests and that type of thing. And they're just calling into this machine. They, they have to have an outlet so they can they call into this machine. And, and so, you, you know, we're thinking about how can you describe the value of being forgiven? How can you describe the value of knowing it and receiving it in your heart? 
A person who has not received forgiveness carries with them everywhere they go the burden of guilt. 10,000 talents. They're carrying with them 10,000 talents. And that guilt affects everything they do. Guilt has to work its way out. That's what the people calling into the answering machine were trying to do. They were trying to work its way out unsuccessfully. But a person who cares around guilt will find that every one of their relationships suffers because of it. Their physical health suffers. Their emotional health suffers. Their family, their job suffers. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I have paid the debt. Come to me. I have paid the debt. I will forgive all. All 10,000 talents. All $10 trillion. All sins, past, present, and future. The forgiveness I offer is forever. Eternal. You can't put a price tag on it. A person who receives the forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ is changed forever. Something happens to them. And one of the many things that happens to them is that they realize they have no right to withhold forgiveness from anyone else. They can't withhold forgiveness of the debt of a hundred denarii, a hundred days' wages, when they have been forgiven 10,000 talents. They can't. Someone who has been born again understands that. They understand that and they live it out. How do you describe the value of being forgiven by God? A person who receives this forgiven has a song birthed in their heart, a new song, a song that they never knew existed. Actually, you can find this song. It's in Psalm 103. Why don't you turn there with me? Psalm 103, the, so, the song, remember the word psalm means song. You should just change it to song 103. Psalm 103, please turn with me to Psalm 103. Verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forgive not all his benefits, who forgives, here it is, who forgives all your iniquities. Now, what does that mean to be forgiven all your iniquities? Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. In other words, Once God has forgiven you of something, he'll never bring it up again like we do so often. After we think we've forgiven someone and only to bring it up at a later time, you know, you remember that 10 bucks you you ripped off from me? Well, yeah, I thought you forgave me. Well, I did, but, you know, you did it again. So, you know, it's God doesn't forgive like that. He never brings it up again. Verse 12 says, as far as east is from the west... 
so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So after verses 1 through 3, here's the song. David described what happens to a person who has actually received God's forgiveness. It says in verse 3, well, verse 2 again, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 3, who forgives all our uh, all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. David mentions five things now, five things that flow from a forgiven life. One, Verse 3, second part, he'll heal all your diseases. A forgiven person is the most healthy person in the world. Ask any doctor worth his salt, and they will, they, they will concede that. Two, who redeems your life from destructions. Among other things, all those relationships that were being ruined by guilt, relationships which would otherwise brought you to an early grave, are rescued with the power of forgiveness. Three, who crowns you, verse 4 again, who crowns you with loving kindness and, and tender mercies. Only a forgiven person. Listen, only a forgiven person can know and receive the loving kindness and the tender mercies of God. Four, who satisfies your mouth with good things? Guilt spoils the taste of everything, including, you know, lasagna, macaroni, and steak. You, you try enjoying a meal when you're saddled with guilt. You can't. Five, your youth will, re- will be renewed like the eagle's. Forgiveness will give you a fresh vigor, a renewed joy, and excitement for living. Boy, if there's anything I see in the world, particularly as people, you know, start leaving their youth, you know, they start getting into their 30s and 40s, and they start realizing, because they start realizing, you know, all those all those things that I thought I thirsted after in my teens and 20s that I thought were going to give me life, uh, they haven't satisfied. And, and what you see is there's no excitement for life anymore. I mean, one of the things I love about walking with God is just the, the excitement that God puts in your heart for life. Even at the old age of 42 And 84, nothing like seeing a, a, a man or woman in their 70s and 80s who still has that excitement for life because of Christ in them. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquities. That will be the song of, of your heart if you're willing to receive the gift of God. No more calling into answering machines and confessing your sins to an unknown person. Your life will be changed, forever ever changed, eternally changed, a new song. How do you describe the value of the forgiveness which is ours in Christ? It's hard to put in words. But let's go back to our parable in Matthew 18. Now, Matthew 18 says, 
Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. Listen carefully because this is important. Although the forgiveness was given to this servant, it was never received by the servant in his heart. The, reci- the, the forgiveness was given. It was never received by the servant in his heart. If the servant had received the forgiveness in his heart, he wouldn't have gone out looking for a fellow servant to judge and condemn. He would have gone out to his fellow servant singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Did you enjoy that as much as I did? Anyone, does anyone know that song? All right, okay, some of you older people, people in your 40s, you know. That's what he would have done. He wouldn't have run out and judged and condemned his fellow servants. He would have been singing to them a new song in his heart. Now, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 6, and there are disagreements about what, the, what it means, but it's God's Word, and so we don't want to put any part of God's Word on the shelf just because there are disagreements about it. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6, I think, are almost an explanation of this parable. In Hebrews 6, it says this, It's impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Now, again, a lot of disagreement about what that means, but I personally am not among those who think that verse is referring to someone who's lost their salvation. No, I think Hebrews 6 and Matthew 18 describes an unbeliever, someone who's never been saved by God, who's never tasted the heavenly gift. Matthew 18 verse 27 says this guy was released and forgiven all his sin. So he knows the joy he had tasted of what it was like to be uh, forgiven of the heavenly gift, but he never received it in his heart. Here's the key. He was never transformed by it. There's such a thing as being given the Word of God, the gift of God, but not receiving it, not allowing God to transform your heart, to circumcise your heart, that's what happened to this man. He was never transformed by it. And, you know, Hebrews 6 says to be offered the gift of forgiveness and a taste of it, uh, but never receiving it and allowing it to transform you is like crucifying the Son of God all over again and exposing Him to open shame. The Bible says that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. When John the Baptist uh, saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died for the sin of the whole world, but not everyone in the world is going to receive Him. The servant in Matthew 18 did not receive in his heart God's wonderful gift of forgiveness. If he did, he would not have gone 
out condemning. He would have gone out forgiving. And that's what you and I need to go out doing. The, high, uh, the writer in Hebrews 6, by the way, went on to say to the people he was writing to, I'm confident of better things in you, things that accompany salvation. So he wasn't describing someone who was saved. He say, he's saying, I, I am confident of better things from you, things that accompany salvation. One of the things that accompany salvation is the inner compelling to forgive others. The natural man has no desire to forgive. The flesh just wants to blow it off. Go get another relationship. Why risk the pain, more pain? That's crazy. That's nuts. The new man, the spiritual man, says, no, there's an inner compelling to go restore. Spurgeon said, no man is a child of God who does not have the likeness of God. No man is forgiven who does not himself forgive. It's just what the Bible teaches. You know, I've thought a lot about forgiveness the last couple of weeks. By the way, if you didn't get last week's message on forgiveness, please order it. You can order the, the back CDs, actually. They're CDs now. And I've taught a lot of forgiveness the last couple of weeks because God teaches a lot about it, cares an awful lot about it. But I've thought a, a lot about it, and I've heard some sermons and read a bunch of things and meditated a lot and Psalm 103 put a lot of things in person. Psalm 103 put a lot of things in order for me because as I read it and I meditated on this whole subject of forgiveness, I realized, you know, a lot of my problems would not be problems if I realized the value of having been forgiven by God. If I receive God's forgiveness, not just a portion of it, all of it, into my heart. So much of our anger. So much of our anger. You find yourself just being angry a lot. So much of our frustration, our anxiety, is because we haven't understood the 10,000 talents, the, the $10 trillion debt that God paid on our behalf. Again, Psalm 103, Bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all all your diseases, who redeems your life with destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things and renews your youth like an eagle's. Look at all, all that flows from a life that has received forgiveness. My prayer for you and me is that the Holy Spirit is by His mercy, because we certainly don't deserve it would open your eyes and your hearts and your minds so that you'd understand how much God has forgiven you of and the price he paid to do that. So that Psalm 103, a new song, would just explode in your heart. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this message of grace. And Father, I just pray for every everyone in here, Lord, including me, Lord, 
especially me, Lord, that we would understand the value, the just the, just the unthinkable, infinitely huge value of, of what you did on the cross, of, of what it means to be forgiven, that we would receive not just a portion, but the, but the, whole, the whole deal, Lord. That the new song, the whole song, every note of it, Lord God, would sing from our hearts, Lord. that the joy of the Lord, the joy of your forgiveness would be our strength, Lord. So that our worship of you would just be more glorious, more more of a connection, more consistent, Lord, and that we would go out, Lord, forgiven. And God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, God bless you. If anyone needs prayer... Please come up. You're dismissed.